0: A better way to do this. Let me show you a better
1: way. Hi folks, this is Jack Speargo with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man to you the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. Today is July the second, 2012, and it's Monday. Monday, Monday. Gloomy Monday. For some people, you got a long week off, and uh, you're on vacation, and yet you're listening to me. So thank you for that. Some of you are working right through this week. I am going to work today, and I am going to work tomorrow, and I am not going to work the rest of the week. I'm going to take the fourth uh, through the rest of the week off. We're going to take a couple days this week and drive down to East Texas and look at some property, and I'm going to try to get caught up on some other things. So you will get two issues of the Survival Podcast this week. And you will get on Friday, because I've changed up 5 Minutes with Jack. Those of you that listen to that show, it's now a one-hour show and it's a weekly show. There will be a weekly show from 5 Minutes with Jack. That show went too long without having any episodes to take another uh, week off. So there will be an episode of 5 Minutes with Jack. If you've never listened to that show and you like businesses and you want to know how I built the Survival Podcast into the success that it's become... Uh, and how I was able to get people on board with community to do that because they knew it was you know something I was doing for them as much as for me. Uh, come over to 5 Minutes with Jack, and you'll hear about uh, building businesses in a way that I don't think anybody else is teaching. I don't usually talk about that show much here. It just kind of came up because of the schedule issue this week. All right, before I get into today's shows... Uh, today's show. So today's show and your, your questions, comments, and stuff that came in over, uh, the weekend. Most of this stuff did cool. is a lot of really active weekend. Uh, I'll go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the dum- uh, the day number one today is the Berkey guy. You know, what are you going to get from the Berkey guy? It might shock you to learn you'd get Berkey water filtration systems from the Berkey guy. But why the Berkey guy? Why not somebody else? Why not Joe Blow Prepper, uh, supply down at the local gun sh- uh, show? If you go there, You'll probably see Berkey's there. Well, if you deal with Jeff, you're going to get the best price and the best service, and he's going to take good care of you, and if anything goes wrong, he's going to fix it. And the reason I know I can say that is he's been a sponsor for over three years now, going into his fourth year, and that's what everybody who's ever done business with him that's gotten back to me has told me about him. Besides... Who would you get your Berkey from other than the Berkey guy? I mean, it kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? I'll tell you what, uh, Jeff has some other cool prepping stuff as well. You can check out his site. It's at directive21.com. Directive and then the number 21 and then a dot and a com. Best way to find Jeff, the Berkey guy, and all of our sponsors, though, go to thesurvivalpodcast.com first. Click on their banners in the right-hand margin, and you know you're dealing with an actual sponsor that has my personal endorsement. Next up today, Fortress Defense Consultants. Hey, look, guys, it's, it's, it's great to be armed with a rifle, with a carbine, with a handgun, carry concealed. However you want to be armed, I believe in your constitutional right to be armed. I also believe that rights come with responsibilities, and an armed society has a responsibility as an armed society to be proficient at what they do, to know the law, and to be ready to to protect both themselves and their fellow citizens. You'll learn that at Fortress Defense Consultants. You can find out more at Fortress Defense. Check them out today. Frank Sharp Jr. and his staff do an excellent job, and they are perpetual students, not just perpetual teachers. Each of them takes multiple courses every year to continue to become better at what they do so they can be better at helping you become better at defending yourself as well. You'll also learn from them how to heal. If you're going to walk around with the capacity to hurt, Having the capacity to heal is another part of your responsibility. You could end up in a situation where you have to use deadly force, and it may not only be the bad guy that's taken down, and even if the bad guy's down, rendering medical aid is your responsibility as well once the threat is passed. All right, with that, uh, I want to move on. Today, I also want to remind you guys about TSP Copper. TSP Copper rocks. There are some really cool coins there. They're very affordable. They're a great way to spread messages like Ron and Rand Paul. Like if you guys, you've got beekeepers. We even have a bee coin for you guys, a honeypot coin. Like the Survival Podcast. You can get a roll for very little money. You can keep it. You can use it as barter currency. You can give it to your kids. One guy told me he pays his kids in a mix of money and copper rounds. And they spend the money quickly and they can cash the copper back in for money but they never want to they hold on to them i thought that was really cool check it out today tspcopper.com last but not least do consider joining the member support brigade if you do that you'll get exclusive content available only to members and you'll be supporting the show at about 18.3 cents an episode I also want to remind you guys before I get into your questions and comments, you can come meet me. Yes. Arlington, Texas, July 27th and 28th. I will be doing a expert panel. I believe it's around 10 or 11 in the morning. I need to make sure of that and I'll, I'll let you guys know uh, later, the, the, probably tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll do an announcement on this again and put the times into it this time. But I'm going to be doing a uh, expert panel with a couple other people. Dr. Bones will be one and I believe it's Southern Prepper 1. His YouTube handle is the other individual that will be on the uh, panel with me, and that will be Friday. And then Saturday, I'm doing a keynote address at about 9.20 a.m., if I remember uh, correctly. And I'm talking to Scott over there about maybe getting something where TSP listeners can get in a bit early, get a seat, uh, maybe meet me before I start speaking uh, without four billion people in there, that type of thing. So I'll let you know about that uh, this week as well. All right, with well, all of that said, let's get into the main topics today, and uh, we're going to start out with Obamacare, and this really isn't about Obamacare, and no matter what your feelings are about Obamacare, I want you to listen for the deeper message today as we look at this. Um, I got an email yesterday that I put out on Facebook, and when I put this out on Facebook, I said I don't see a way out of this because I took the article to be accurate. It turns out the article was missing something very, very important. Let's talk about uh, tracking it down. Uh, Kevin Kervick wrote this article. uh, He's from the Manchester Independent Examiner. And here's what it says. Obamacare is now invalid because tax bills must originate in the House. Here is the article. It's a short one, so I'll read the whole thing. The Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, may now be invalid because the Supreme Court ruled that it relies on a tax for implementation. According to the United States Constitution, all tax bills originate in the House of Representatives. This law originated in the Senate because at the time the Democrats were selling it as a purchase, not a tax. Since the Supreme Court has ruled the law is indeed based on a tax increase, it would have been, had to have been initiated as a bill in the House of Representatives. Consequently, the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act law is unconstitutional on different criteria than the ones considered by the Supreme Court in its latest landmark decision. By calling the individual, individual mandate unconstitutional, but allowing the law as a federal program to be funded by new taxes, Justice Roberts effectively nullified the law. Oh, for those of us who want to see this thing gone, if it were only true, unfortunately, it's not. Now, it is true that all bills to raise revenue by the Constitution, uh, if I remember right, Article 1, Section 7 says that. Now, um, but then I put this on Facebook, and I'm going to talk about the Facebook conversation in a minute. I just want to talk about uh, this, this post that somebody did on Facebook and what it what it led me over to. So uh, DeAndre Sam Ax Lacroix says, "Not so quick," and posts a link. The link leads to an article. While the indiv- why the individual mandate is still constitutional, there's a lesson in this. There's a couple lessons here, There's some big lessons in here, so follow this. Since the Supreme Court upheld the Obama health law on Thursday, I've received a number of messages from listeners and readers arguing that because the justices found the individual mandate was a tax, it is unconstitutional as the plan didn't start out in the House. Article 1, Section 7, who you knew I was right, uh, of the Constitution states all bills for raising revenue shall originate in the House is what the Constitution says these readers ar- argue. They go on to say that since the mandate was added in the Senate, Not in the House. The entire plan should have been found unconstitutional. Sounds simple enough, but I'm sorry, that's not going to derail the Obama health law. Let me explain. At issue, the bill, number H.R. 3590, which became the legislative vehicle for the Obama health law known officially as the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. When the bill, that bill originated in the House of Representatives, it was known as the Service Members Home Ownership Act of 2009. That bill was approved by the House on October 8, 2009 by a vote of 416 to 0 and then sent to the Senate. I'm going to stop there. You can read the rest of it if you want. But I want you to, I want you to now really start the, the thing here is we're beginning to peel back the ugly layers of how our government really works and how they screw us. They took, because the Senate knew they couldn't do this. They could not propose Obamacare. They knew it was a tax. When they looked you in the eye, told you to your face, it's not a tax, it's not a tax, it's not a tax. They knew they were lying. There was no other reason for them to do what they've done. They take this this, this law that was for service members and owning homes, a law that nobody would oppose. That was not designed to do anything with health care and they turned it into the health care bill and then they sent it back to the House. So since it, it originated in the House and the Senate by the Constitution has the power to amend and propose changes and then the House voted on it, it is completely constitutional. But what a dirty underhanded trick. Now, there's there's been a lot of people actually trying to say that there's a silver lining here, that because they ruled, Robert said that the Commerce Clause was unconstitutional uh, to do this with, that they have to tax these things. I, I don't really think there's a silver lining anywhere there. I think it's just the, the side that's on the losing end of this grasping at anything they can try to say is good. I do think there is a silver lining to the whole thing that I'll get to in a minute, but That silver lining has an awful lot of dark clouds in front of it because people are behaving like children by insulting each other and thinking that the person that's the Democrat or the Republican, that's your fellow citizen, is the problem here. The the, the deck is stacked against all of us. The game is rigged, and these people don't give a shit about you. The justices on the Supreme Court... They don't give a shit about you. The congressmen, they don't give a shit about you. The president, damn sure doesn't give a shit about you. The the senators, they didn't give a shit about you either. Notice I didn't say the Democrats don't care and the Republicans don't care. They're all politicians, and none of them give a shit about you. They want control. They want control. They want control. Troll. They don't want to help poor kids that can't get health care get health care. That's the marketing. That's the sales side of this thing. They have built taxes out the ass into Obamacare. Do you know that the people that work in unions that think Obama's their guy, he's such a great guy, he just handed you a lot of you guys some of the biggest tax increases you'll ever see in your life? You union guys are the ones with the quote-unquote Cadillac insurance program. Right? They're gonna look at those programs in twenty eighteen. It's coming. It's not as far away as you think it is. The ass hat will be long gone by then. That provision kicks in later, but all you guys in your union shops, they're gonna look at your health care plants, they're gonna say they're worth twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars a year. Because that's what it's gonna cost for a you know, health insurance for a family of four by ten or more, and they're gonna tax you on it as income. That means that if you're gonna you're gonna be end up paying Six to seven, maybe eight thousand dollars a year in income tax. Some of you guys for money, you never get paid. They're going to say you're being paid in the form of your insurance. That's just another thing. That's how they think they're going to pay for this. But here's the reality they can't pay for this, they can't pay for this. There is not enough money to pay for this the way that they put it together. And they're not going to be happy where they're at. They're going to keep wanting more control, and they want more of the government involvement. See, the government knows it's... This This is what this is really about. The government knows that it's financially screwed. The government, believe it or not, they can do math. They just don't like to accept its reality. There's a $50 trillion hole in future obligations. $50 trillion. The government believes... When it looks at the healthcare industry and it sees it as one of the largest industries in the world, if we can just take complete control of it, there's so much money there. And people won't really care if they're paying Aetna or Uncle Sam as long as they're getting their health care. Eventually, we can take this over. And they think they're going to save the Titanic and patch the hole by taking over health care. They think that they can make money on this. They can't make money on this. The government can't make money. All they do is ruin money. They destroy things. It's what they always have done. Every country that's ever tried this has screwed it up. And people hold up these countries and these people on Facebook. You guys, you're arguing with each other. You're calling each other names. One idiot, I'm sorry I'm going to say you're an idiot because I'm asking you not to call each other names, but one flipping idiot on Facebook said that God sent tornadoes and storms and things like that because he's pissed at America over Obamacare. you got to be out of your flipping mind. And I've got people on the other side saying things like just sit down and shut up basically. You don't have a, you know what, it went to the court, it passed, shut up and stop fighting it. There's no reason for anybody to stop fighting anything, either side, if you really believe in what you're doing. So, but when I look at this, I, I want Americans to start having two conversations about everything government wants to do. Before we even get into whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. And these two conversations are starting to happen. And it's the first time in my adult life I could ever remember them really happening with any frequency and regularity. The problem is that you got people behaving like children, using these social media things like Facebook and blog posts and all, calling each other names, making their fellow citizens out to be scum because they disagree. And it's hard to have a conversation with somebody when they're behaving that way. So knock it off and grow the F up, people, please. Start making decent reasoned cases with each other. I'm talking to both sides here, right? God did not send a tornado to destroy a town because of Obamacare. And if you believe that, you have a seriously warped mind. You really do. I mean, I don't even know what to say. And this is from somebody that I guess agrees with me. I think you're sick in the head if you believe that. The, you know, these things, children have been killed in this. He killed kids because of Obama? God did that? you got to be out of your mind. you got to be out of your mind to think that way. And, and the other side with this, you suck on it, stuff like that. Oh, my God, you don't win old arguments and debates and make your case by telling people to sit down and shut up and accept the way that it is. Here's the danger in all of this. Let me get, before I get to the danger, the two conversations I'd like to see Americans start having, no matter what your political stripe is, the first conversation, is it constitutional? And that's the silver lining. I'm seeing people have that conversation. We can disagree about that. But there's no reason for two people to sit down and discuss the constitutionality of a proposed law to call each other names and not be able to discuss it. Regardless of whether you think we should do it and I think we shouldn't or vice versa, we should be able to have a reasoned conversation about does the government have the power to do this? Is it their business in the first place? And if the answer is no... And if we can even if you think it's a good idea, but if you legitimately look at it and go, No, they you're right, they they don't then done, game over, the end. And half of the things the clowns do wouldn't pass that test if you and I had those conversations daily with each other, even if we disagreed about what should be done if we just started there. The second one is, can the nation afford it? Can the nation afford it? Is this something so important that our children and grandchildren should be paying this bill? so that we can have it today? And does it mathematically even work? And if it's either unconstitutional or we can't afford to do it, then it doesn't get done. Because people want to talk about how they feel, and I feel this, and I feel that, and I think everybody should have this. Well, I how about this? I think everybody should have a pet freaking unicorn. I think everybody should have a pet unicorn, and I think when you fart, an angel should come out of your ass. And the angel should jump up on the unicorn and say, may I grant you some wishes, please? And you get three wishes from your angel riding your unicorn. And after your angel gives you your three wishes, he gets off the unicorn and flies away. And the next time you need something, you fart again. And another angel comes out, rides the unicorn, and grants your wishes. And I think the unicorn should make a rainbow appear whenever you're sad and you want to have a rainbow. And I think all we should have to to do is have Congress pass a law that says that's what's going to happen and see if it happens. And it sounds ridiculous, but the government actually believes that it can solve problems with laws in violation of natural law. The government thinks it can fix the price of something to a specific number and ignore the market. <laughs> the government thinks that it can pass a coinage law in 1965 and say a 1965 quarter made out of copper is worth as much as a 64 quarter made out of silver and people are supposed to obey that. They even threaten people, don't you hoard quarters, what are you going to do? Break in my house to fill my quarters? Go screw them. It didn't work then, it won't work now. If you can't afford it, just because it feels good or it seems like a good idea, it doesn't matter. Families make this decision all the time. Most families would love to take a four-week vacation every year. Four weeks. And go to the most amazing places in the world. And let everything behind. And nobody even checks their email from work. And have no obligations to anything. And they just go do it. And be able to stay in the finest hotels. And eat the finest food. And that would be ideal. That would be a great thing. If every year you could take 30 days of vacation like that. And stay in the finest resorts. And let your family recharge and just be together. That would be great. But you don't do it because you can't afford it. Right? This is basic common sense. It would also be nice... If you had a Ferrari, and somebody in your town might own a Ferrari, and it might be the case that you could go steal his Ferrari. Most people don't go steal a Ferrari, not just because they will be put in jail, but because inherently they're decent people and they know it's not right to do so. And then just so people are clear, we have laws that say... You cannot take your buddy's Ferrari and, and, and take it to your house and use it as your own. I know you want one, but you'll have to go do some of the things he did to buy his if that's what you really want. All right? So that should be the same litmus test we're giving our government with our legislation. Is it right according to the foundational law of the land? And no matter how much you want it, if the answer is no, it's no. And I'm sorry, the Supreme Court are traitors. Because they use the technicality to avoid the obvious. Nowhere in the Constitution does the government have the power to tax behavior. Specifically, nowhere in the Constitution does the government have the power to tax non-behavior. It's completely unconstitutional. And I know those of you that think this is a good idea and think we can't afford it and all and believe in the magical unicorn and the farting angel, I know that you think it's okay that maybe they really did you know, skate this thing around the Constitution because you want it, and because you want it, you're willing to let them get away with it. Let me tell you why you can't let them get away with it. Because the next time, it won't be your horse pulling the cart. The next time, you don't win. The other side thinks they win. You both lose both times. But some evil, nasty, dirty, horrible Republican. What do you idiots call them? Repugnicans or something? Repugnants or something? You know? you got these names for each other and all. And it's going to be one of those guys. And he's going to use this. And he's going to use this to do something you don't want him to do. And you're not going to be okay with it then. And that's why what should unite us is common sense mathematics. Is the money here to do this? And two, is it constitutional? And at least we're beginning to have those conversations, and that's good. But if you think that this will not hasten the eventual bankruptcy of this country, you are just ignoring mathematics. You're just ignoring mathematics. The United States national debt right now, this moment, stands at $15.828 trillion and it's running nonstop just like it always has. Your president looked you in the face and told you that doing this would save the country money. You can't Possibly believe that. Let me tell you what, my unicorn and angel fart are more likely than Obamacare saving the country a penny. This was used to increase taxes, but we've increased the spending greater than the taxes. If you can do math, you understand that doesn 't work. This thing 's going to add about one point five trillion dollars in expenses in the next couple of years in addition to all the other trillions of dollars they 're already spending that we already don 't have. Look at Europe. People say, "Oh, it works out so all these other countries can do it. We can look at what 's happening to them look what 's happening. Look at the extortion that they 're having to go through. Spain needs a bailout. The, the, their version of the Fed comes to Italy and says, loan Spain money. And Italy goes, we don't have any money. And they said, it's okay. We'll loan you money. And then you loan it to Spain. And Italy goes, we don't want to do that. And they go, you're going to do it. And not only are you going to do it, we're going to loan it to you at 7% interest. And they go, man, we're already paying 7% interest. Do I get to charge Spain 7%? They go, no, you're going to charge them 3 They can't afford 7 Well, we can't afford it. You're going to do it anyway. You don't think that Europe's going to be in a complete meltdown in a couple of years? Serious. I mean, look at what... How long can they do that? What's going to happen is those nations are going to have to leave the euro, go back to their old currencies, and when that whole thing falls apart, all these... Great benefits that you guys point to are going to go away. They're already crumbling. Greece has already crumbled on so much of this stuff, and they're holding on to a little bit of it yet. They, it's, it's a great thought. It's a great thought that if everybody just pays their taxes, the government can create utopia. It just doesn't work. It never works. And it, history is a very good teacher if we'll open our eyes and ears and learn from it, and it always ends the same way. And I feel, I'm being very honest with you guys today. I feel that it's not like we're headed for the iceberg, or in the big USS Titanic, right? Titanic America. We're not headed for the iceberg. We already hit it. We hit the iceberg. It's it's already happened. The water, just like the Titanic, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And next thing you know, the thing's split in half and going down. This is a bigger ship. It can handle more damage, but the damage that's done is continuing to increase, and there's no backfilling the hole. There's no patching the hole. There is no fixing this. The U.S. can't just say, you know what, we're not going to pay. Can't do that. That would mean war. So that means you have to keep trying to pay. That means you have to keep extorting people. They're going to go after every single penny they can get to try to keep this thing floating. You, you talk about saving Social Security. Wait, wait, till, wait till they start taking it away. They will. They'll say they're not. They'll say we're saving it, right? We have to destroy the free market to save the free market, George Bush, right? We have to destroy Social Security to save it. It'll be some nonsense like that. They're going to go after retirement accounts. They're going to go after every single penny you have. And they're going to tell you that you're not patriotic if you don't let them do it. That's what they're going to do. And and this healthcare thing just leads us there faster, and it gives them the ability. This sets a precedent. Let, let me explain what this ruling by the Supreme Court means. Let's say that I've decided as president that I want to create jobs, because we all know presidents create jobs, don't, they? don't we? They create jobs. So I say I don't know how I can create any more jobs. I feel like I've done everything. Oh, wait. Let me phone up my buddies in the Congress, and let's pass a new tax. That'll create jobs. And you go, Mr. President, you can't create a job with taxes. Oh, but I can. I'll mandate people hire. And you go, what? What I'll do is I'll pass a law that says once your business gets to a certain amount of annual revenue, you have to have at least a minimum of a certain number of employees. And if you if you don't, we're not going to shut your business down or anything. We're not going to raid you. We're just going to impose a... Employee shortage tax. You, you figured out how to lean out your operation with less people, so you should pay more taxes than the business that's, and the, and the business owner says, but I am. By not having employees, my expenses are lower, so my profit's higher, so I pay more taxes, and they say, that's not enough. If you have a million-dollar-a-year business, you should have at least five employees. You have only four. We're going to assess an employee shortage tax of $20,000 a year for not hiring people. Let me tell you something. There is absolutely no reason with the current Supreme Court decision that your government couldn't do that today. And maybe you think that's a good thing. Maybe you think people with million-dollar businesses should hire at least five people so you can have a job. But again... What about when it gets used for something you don't want? See, this is the problem with the leprechauns and the unicorns and farting angels. They're all nice to talk about, but they don't exist and they always lead to misery. And that's what this thing is. This is where what we're headed for. This is the totalitarian state that you're going to get. Right now, you go to an airport, you get your 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 test, if you're male, your testicles irradiated, if you're female, you get your ovaries irradiated under the guise that we need to prevent somebody from a cave in Afghanistan from hijacking an airplane. But guess what? The guy that got the mandated owns an assload of stock in the company that makes them. This is the nation you live in. Don't think you live in a free nation right now. This nation's not free. America is the ideal of freedom. But you, my friends, the citizenry of the republic, are the first guardians of the republic. And I know some of you are going to get mad at me what I'm about to say. And understand that some of you are doing your job. But in mass, the guardians are laying down on the job. There's not enough of us standing up. And there's plenty of us that know the truth. If all of us that knew the truth showed up and stopped voting for the lesser of two evils, we wouldn't be wasting our vote on third-party candidates. We'd be electing them. Somebody has to go first. You can always tell the pioneer. They're the ones with the arrows in their back was the old statement. It's not easy to go first. But until enough of us go first, nobody else is going to follow. And Obamacare is going to destroy the country. And I say that, but I don't really mean it, because all I mean is it's going to destroy it faster. We already have so many holes in the boat. The boat is already going down. There is no way to fix this mathematically. And if you can show me mathematically how to fix it, I'll change my opinion on that. I'm going to segue into something different that's highly related to this. But what I really wanted everybody to get out of that, and I hope I didn't snap out too much, because it really did piss me off to see people calling each other names like that. Uh, But here's a question that ties right back into all this. This is from Jennifer. Jennifer says, how do you feel about... Now, first, I want to stop. I want to stop. When we're making decisions about money, taxes, freedom, things like that, what we feel is far less important than what is. So I'm going to read the question, but I just want you to think about that as I read the question in her comments. How do you feel about address the total lack of a social safety net, i.e. Medicare, Medicaid, etc., that would be in effect if we were living in a more truly libertarian society? You can read below if you're interested, but the above is my question. I have been curious about this, especially in the context of recent conversation about health care. It is so frustrating to feel like we're missing the fundamental point about government-funded expanded health care coverage. If we are going to require doctors and hospitals to treat people who walk into an ER and keep those people alive, then someone has to pay for it. We can't expect all our healthcare workers. The work for free. If we don't want to pay them for it through taxes or some other way, then we need to be honest about that and say, okay, if you don't have your own privately paid health insurance or a lot of cash, you will be left to the charity of your community, or you will die on the street. Period. That seems like the first choice, is it? How do libertarians feel about that, and how many people would choose this system? I believe you would, I believe you would be because I respect how intellectually honest you are. But I think that many people, including those that don't want to pay taxes, still want to inspect all the things government gives them. It makes me crazy. I love your show and love how you challenge me to think in new ways. I've learned so much about libertarianism from you and more and more curious, but I can't get around the above. I'll stop there. Let's start out with the first thing. Lack of a safety net. Let's first of all talk about the system we have and what a safety net actually is, and see if we have safety nets. Okay, A safety net is something so if a person's a trapeze artist, and they're swinging from the trapeze, and they make a mistake, and they fall, they land in the safety net, and it catches them. It is not guaranteed to prevent injury person might fall from the net, and if they do something wild or crazy or not quite right or just hap and circumstance occurs, maybe they can break their leg. Maybe they can break their wrist. Maybe they can break their their neck. They're a lot more likely to end up safe because of the net, but the net can't guarantee 100% safety. The only way we can guarantee that we're not going to get hurt flinging from a trapeze high above is to not go up there in the first place. Right. Even if we put cables on these people so that they can be let down slowly, uh, there's no guarantee that somebody won't let go and bust their face, lose an eyeball on the edge of the, the handle. You see, the action has inherent risk. Being a human being has risk, and people need to be allowed to fail. When you fall into any type of a safety net, not only are you not guaranteed not to be injured or harmed in any way, but the net is not designed for you to live in. When you hit the net... It's not comfortable. It's not designed to be a hammock to take a snooze in. It's designed for, to be something that you then get out of and go back to doing what you did before. Okay. If you're injured, you may have to go through rehabilitation. If you're severely injured, you might have to do something completely different. You might not be up for trapeze ever again for the rest of your life if you're injured severely enough. If you've you know, broken your hands in certain ways where you lose the strength and you can't rehabilitate yourself, you've got to go find a new gig. That's what safety nets do. That's what safety nets do. What we have in this country are not safety nets. A safety net would be something that catches you when you fall, holds you for a limited period of time, doesn't absolutely guarantee you no discomfort, and then puts you back into the real world and says, go deal with it now. Okay, so that would be something like unemployment insurance. To get unemployment, you have to have a job first. You have to work for a certain period of time. And if you lose your job, it has to be for a reason other than you just quit. If you just quit or you stole money from the company, broke the law, some reason you lost your job and terminated for cause, in certain ways you don't get it. See, so that's a safety net. Now, eventually that's supposed to run out. But now we have people being extended for two and a half, three years, and no one goes and gets a job. Why? Because the government gets involved. And when the government got involved, they cha- they changed unemployment insurance into what they call a safety net. But they actually ruined the net. Instead of being a net that makes it, it helps you and empowers you to get back to work, it becomes an enabler of inactivity. This is how, this is how unemployment, see, we can solve so many problems. Unemployment insurance should work this way. You're paying for it by working. You're paying for it by paying taxes. There's a part of your employer's cost that is to insure you. He's required to do so. No problem so far. Now, when you lose your job, odds are that if you were making 60 grand a year, you're gonna pull down about 500 bucks a week in unemployment, which is nowhere near the 60 grand you were making. But odds are that if you lost a job paying that well in your area, there's probably hard times going on when you lose your job. Therefore, it's very difficult for you to go out and find a job also making $60,000 a year. For you to make anything less, if you're getting 500 a week, you would want a job paying at least 750 a week if you're gonna to go to work. By the time you get taxed and pay the gas and everything, if you're gonna, if you're gonna make $500 going to work, or you can get $500 from the government for not going to work, and you can hold out and look for a better job, well, what are you gonna do? Well, most people can do math and are, you know, people that make that kind of money are generally pretty intelligent. So they do the math and they figure out that I'll wait until I find something close to what I was earning. And I'll just collect this money until then. I'll go out I'm not gonna not look for a job, but those jobs become scarce and hard to find. The longer that person goes without a job, it's like a house aging in the market. Employers start to look at you with a little more scrutiny going, six months, eh, hey, without a job. Hmm. And they're not supposed to, but when i got a guy that's actually working somewhere else that just wants a better opportunity, and i got you and you haven't been able to find a job for six months, guess who I'm more likely to hire? I'd rather steal somebody, because I know that person's valuable. They've been able to hold on to their job in this hard economy. I know you don't like it, I know you don't think it's fair, but it's how the world works. See, it's not about how we feel, it's about how things are. Liberalism is about feel, right? Libertarianism is about reality. It's so not that we're not compassionate, but we are compassionate within the confines of natural law. Certain things are certain ways, and they're going to be that way, and we can mitigate it, but we can't change it. And if we pass a law that says it's not true anymore, it's still true. So the way I would run unemployment insurance as a safety net would be if you were making $1,000 a week and you lose your job, and it's it's a legitimate loss, and you are entitled to unemployment compensation, and let's say that you're getting $300 a week in unemployment. Obviously, that is not allowing you to live your life anywhere close to the way you used to. It might barely keep you in your house. You might lose your house, but you're still not going to go take a job making $400 a week. You're just not going to do it because you have a lifestyle built around a $1,000 a week income, and you're getting 300 and it's going to cost you 100 to work a week. It's, it costs about $100 a week or more just to go to work by the time gas and everything else that goes into it. Plus, now you're working a job that's not optimum for you, so it's harder for you to look for a job that you actually want, that's actually going to replace your income. So what I would say is, and this is where we broke the system. Instead of letting it be what it was, insurance, we made it a government program designed to empower inactivity. I would say that you can make up to $700 a week and collect your full benefits. So if you can go out and get a job delivering pizzas, and that pays you $1,000, I mean, uh, let's say uh, uh, five, uh, $250 a week, you get your $250 plus your $300, now you're up to $550. If you take another job waiting tables on a different, you know, different nights or something like that, and you can make another $200, and you can almost be back to where you were, and you're working nights and all, and you're still looking for a full-time job, Right? And when you go sit down in front of an employer, he says, Well, what are you doing right now? And you go, I need to keep, you know, I need to keep money coming in. So I'm out and I got two part time jobs. And I'm, you know, I'm waiting tables and delivering pizzas. And I feel terrible about it, but I'm going to pay the bills and I'm going to take care of my family. You know what that employer sitting on the other side of your desk is thinking? I like this guy. I want this guy working for me. This is a hard working man. But what does the government do? If you make any money at all, they take away your unemployment. It's insurance for loss of a job. You've lost the job until you replace the job. It should cover you up to the amount you've lost, like a deductible in reverse. See how simple it is? But as soon as the government gets involved and starts saying, well, if you work at all, you start losing your benefits, then it creates an environment where you can't blame the guy for not working. I think long term it's still a mistake. I think if you can get a job making anything, but people get scared because they realize, well, it's a temporary job. When it runs out, I might not be able to get back on employment. And it's a legitimate concern. Some bureaucrat somewhere that makes minimum wage is going to decide you don't qualify anymore. So let me tell you something, just so everybody can stop lying to you. If this nation got rid of all income tax, period, to zero, and said there's going to be a 10% federal sales tax, states will collect it, the states are going to get some of it back anyway, so what we'll do is each state will get its piece and be able to keep it, and they'll just pay the balance to us. So it's only for federal programs, and we're not giving money back to the states. They just get to keep their piece right from the beginning, and they do whatever they want with it, like a true federal system would be, like a, stu- like a true republic would be. States, you can do your own sales tax thing. You guys have to compete with each other. If one has a lower rate, people will go to another state. That's that's federalism as well. Go, go nuts with it. okay? And that was all the money that this government had. And then the government decided, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make it so that if you have life-threatening illness and no means to pay, you can go to a hospital and get your ass saved, which they already can. And we just said that's. But we're going to make sure there's enough money to cover that. If you show up to the ER because you have a cold or the flu or a skin knee or something that doesn't require emergency care, you're going to be told to leave. The weights in, in, in waiting rooms at ERs will go way, 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 way down. And people that actually needed care would get it, and there would be plenty of money to cover it. The other thing they say, well, what about roads? Okay, if With that amount of money, plus the gas taxes already there, if they actually focused on the roads, we'd have the best roads of any nation on the planet. What about schools? Your property taxes pay for that. Federal government needs to be out of the business of schools. States need to run their school systems. They need to compete with each other for the best model. And the federal government needs to get the hell out of their face. And that's it. That's the role of government. As far as safety nets go beyond that, it's called insurance. And if you get the government out of the insurance business, the insurance business will work. Health insurance should not pay when you go to the doctor because you feel bad. And he gives you a couple bottles of antibiotics, takes your temperature, takes your blood pressure, looks at your throat, and tells you what's wrong with you. There should be no health insurance to pay for anything like that at all. That should be paid out of pocket. The cost of medication, drugs, and testing would fall through the floor the second that happened. Insurance should be in place to cover catastrophic, life-changing illnesses only. People that need heart transplants, people that need liver transplants, people that have cancer. Right? These are the types of things. People that are in imminent danger of death and need treatment now, that insurance should cover that without these huge deductibles. Without a huge deductible, it should be based on the necessary uh, side of care. Anything that's optional, you should have to pay for. And you would see, one, the waiting rooms would clean out. There's so many people right now. They, t- they tug at your hard strings, Jennifer. They they just, oh, these poor kids. Let me tell you about some of these kids. They used to come into the office where my wife worked as a nurse on Medicaid. Mom drives a freaking Humber. The two girls go into beauty pageants. That crap costs a lot of money, but they're on Medicaid. They're on Medicaid. And you know what they came to the doctor for? Anytime anything was wrong. And if she brought one, she'd say, we might as well see the other one too. Just give her a checkup. Why? Because it didn't cost her anything. That's not a safety net. Nothing that our government's doing can be called a safety net. Safety nets still allow you to get injured. Safety nets do not guarantee you success. And we don't live in safety nets. They catch us. We've We've fallen and then we get back up. And if we can't get all the way back up, then we have to adapt to the current situation. And we can help those people, and we can even use some government to help those people without the monstrosities that we've created. Don't listen to the lies. Moving on to something a little bit, I don't know if I'd say this is actually better, but um, it's better for the audience. It's just the subject sucks. Um, Someone on the blog who calls themselves a nonny mouse. a Nani Mouse, which is, I guess, Anonymous, right? A Nani Mouse Anonymous, uh, took the initiative, and the Selco interview that I did last week about the Balkan Wars was difficult to understand for a couple reasons. One, I don't think I told you guys. Selco, in addition to being in an area where technology doesn't always work that well and being on a cell phone and being very low in volume and me having to amp everything up uh, a lot to be able to hear him, and I want you to know, I understood him a lot better in the interview I played than when I was listening to him on, on the on the computer. I could barely get the interview done because was, he was that hard to understand. Well, Anani Mouse, <laughs> that's just clever, uh, went ahead and transcribed the entire interview. So if you'd really like to get the most out of, out of that interview, you can either just read the transcript now or you could get the transcript and listen to the interview while you look at it, and I think you'd be able to understand things a lot better, especially when you miss certain things. So I really want to thank A Naughty Mouse. <laughs> I just think that's clever. Uh, and I wanted to let you guys know that that's available. And I think that if you haven't listened to that interview or you had a hard time getting through it, you need to get the, the transcript and you need to listen to it. Because the kind of things that you're going to hear are the kind of things that this nation, at least in some comp- some areas and regions in it, may very well be uh, headed for. It won't be the same way, and it won't be for the same reasons, but the way that people act and the predatory nature of the scum of society is likely to be the same type of thing. So, again, I wanted to thank that. Now, on to something that's actually really encouraging. I had a guy on the show uh, a few months ago named Victor Alfieri uh, to talk about raising chickens in your backyard. And he was under all type of pressure from uh, his township in New Jersey. What a surprise that New Jersey's done something stupid again. To get rid of his chickens, saying that his um, chickens violated a law. And his point was that the law was not intended for people keeping personal chickens. It was intended for people making money out of it. Now, being a proactive guy, Victor not only was fighting the charge, and not, and basically said, I'm not getting rid of my chickens. I'll have my day in court, and I will keep them until my day in court. You'll have to prove this to get them away from me. So stood up and was a warrior. He put together an ordinance, though, that would have made the whole issue go away that just said, basically, if you have a quarter acre or more, you can keep chickens for personal use. He tried to get it through the town council, and they bullied him, and they were a bunch of asshats, and they just didn't want to do it. So they blocked him, and they and they prevented that. But eventually, Victor's day in court came. And he had to stand in front of a judge in the state of New Jersey and argue the law with the judge. And this is what the judge said. Victor, you're correct. You're not breaking the law. And everybody in your town, therefore, could do the same thing you've done if they want to. There is no law that says you can't do this, but you're right. The law applies to commercial operations. Let me read you the article. A municipal judge ruled Thursday that Victor Alfieri is not guilty of violating a town law by keeping three hens on his property. Judge Lawrence Katz's ruling represents a months-long battle between Alfieri and town officials over the rights of residents to keep hens on private property. The whole thing has been very stressful for my wife and I, said Alfieri, an advocate of sustainability. I'm glad it's over. It's a great victory for health and sustainability. Alfieri has kept three hens on his property for about three years. The hens live in a fenced-in chicken run and coop in his backyard. Raising backyard hens has improved my life, and it's just wonderful now that all Wayne residents can start to enjoy the same benefits, Alfieri said. You guys can read the rest of the article if you want to, but basically the judge simply said, you know what, you're right. This is the way that the law reads, and I'm going to enforce the law, not rewrite the law. Thank you to the judge, Mr. Katz, who did that. I appreciate it when a judge actually follows uh, laws, constitutionality, that type of thing. It's rare, but when it happens, we need to say thank you. Thank you, Mr. Katz, for doing your freaking job. Uh, Let's move on to another one. And let's do one that gets us off the politics for a while. My blood pressure is way too high for a week that I'm not even going to work the full week with... uh This one comes from Deborah. Deborah says, I know homegrown food is better for me physically. It can be less expensive than store-bought organic, although that hasn't been my experience so far. And it definitely tastes better. But I really, 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 with stars around it, hate gardening. I put a ton of time and money and effort into it, only to have my melons eaten by aphids, my tomatoes burned by the sun, my onions not germinating at all, and so forth. I also have to run around finding someone who will water my garden for me when I'm out of town for work. Uh, gardening is a great survival skill, but I don't find it relaxing. I find it incredibly frustrating and time consuming with no apparent reward. Now what? Thanks for all you do, Deborah. Okay. There's a couple different things we can do here. One, I hate to put it to you bluntly, but I'm honest with people, Deborah, and the reality is you're doing it wrong. If it's that hard and that unproductive, you're doing it wrong, and you can either relook at what you're doing and learn to do it better, and get the rewards out of it. Do things like automate your irrigation so that you don't have to worry when you leave town. And it will get done anyway. Do better practices. Learn. It sounds to me like you're planting things at the wrong time of year. Uh, maybe you're not getting the right quality of seed, what have you. Uh, so you can either learn to become a better gardener and make it more enjoyable. And then get the rewards of a food. And that's one thing you can do. But you don't have to. You don't have to. Uh, what it sounds to me like is you like high quality locally grown food for its nutrition and its taste but you don't like to grow it that's awesome let me tell you why it's awesome there's lots of people that love to grow it and they grow so much of it they have this stuff called a surplus and then they take that surplus and they say to themselves self i can only can and dry and dehydrate and put up so much of this surplus and i would like some money please So self, let's go down and set up a little roadside stand, or go to the farmer's market, or go to a grower's co-op, or maybe if I'm doing a really good job, I might even set up a thing called a CSA, and let's sell some of the surplus so that I can make money and pay my bills. And those people need people like Deborah. People that want the quality but don't have the time or the inclination or the desire. So what you need to do, Deborah, is start getting in touch with people that grow food locally, that grow the kind of food you want, and buy from them directly. And when you do that, you'll probably save more money than you would uh, buying anything in a store, even low-quality produce from the store. And what you'll buy from them will probably be far more qual- uh, high-quality than organic food at Walmart. Organic food at Walmart, to me is is better than non-organic labeled food, but not much. I really don't put that big of a, of a, of a stake in it. Uh, I usually choose it whenever it's available because it does guarantee me some things that are important to me, but I'd much rather eat the food grown by a local grower uh, down the street uh, that I know on a first-name basis. I really would. So I would encourage you as to your what now question at the end of that. Either choose to become a better gardener and if you do, great. And if you don't want to do that, I would look to find someone to buy from locally. Look to, I mean, you might even just like look around your neighborhood. Look around your neighborhood. And if you see somebody with a big, beautiful garden, go talk to them. And you can have two different conversations. One, how do you do so well here? And then they'll tell you, and you can apply what they do. Or, you know what, I had a garden, I love eating the food out of it, but I wanted to come introduce myself to you because I've given up on gardening, and I was wondering, would you be interested in possibly selling me some of your extra stuff every week while the growing season's going on? And most people would be happy to do A lot of times they'll say, you know what, I'll just give it to you. And you know what I think you should do in that situation? I think you should say... I'd actually feel better about it if if we could do business as neighbors. I I like doing business with my neighbors. If I go to the store and buy it, uh, low-quality stuff, I'm going to pay you know a couple bucks for a few tomatoes, so why don't you let me do that with you? And if they insist on giving it to you, go ahead and take it. But if you're buying it from them, they're not going to get tired of you coming back, and you're going to form a relationship. So that's what I would do if I didn't want to garden and I wanted to eat good-quality food. Uh, Let's take another one. Okay, this one 's a, a, a comment that came in on the blog uh, last week on the call in show, I talked about how the government really, really, really wants to move to a cashless society you see here 's the thing: most people have a number that they would be happy with a number that they could say that 's enough for me so if I said you if I give you a million dollars to never work again and just go live off of it for the rest of your life. In today's day and age, you probably would look at that and go, I don't think that's enough. I'm not being greedy. I just... I don't think I really could live the rest of my life with just a million dollars. If i got to house myself, take care of myself medically, all that stuff, I'd like a million dollars. I'm willing to do a lot of things for it. But agree to just go away and never bother anybody again and live off of the money, No, I don't think so. Because that's about $50,000 a year if I put it into some kind of safe annuity. And I'm not even really sure it's safe then. And I've I got to tie it all up. And then it's at risk, even though they say it's not. So I, I, I don't know that that's enough money. And if I said, how about $10 million? A lot more people would, have, ten, I, yeah, I could, you know, probably live off ten million dollars. I mean, even if I made no money on it and took a hundred thousand dollars a year out of it, it would take me ten years to go through each million. That would be a hundred years of a hundred thousand dollars a year that I could just take my own money and spend. Yeah, I, I, I think ten million would work. And there's some people who would still go. You know, I have really big dreams and really big aspirations and. I want more than that. But if I said, okay, 20. And if I kept going, because I had a farting unicorn that farted angels out that granted wishes or whatever, I would get to a number where most people would go, okay, stop, stop. Not only will I take it, I want to even, let's go down a little bit. I give some, Take your farting unicorn angel and go give it to somebody else. There's a number that people will just say, that's way more than I need. And then this number down here is enough. Not the government. You know what the government's number is? More. That's what they want. More. Because money is not the end for them. Control is the end. They want control. The money is just how you keep score in the game of control. So the government wants more. So that's why they want to go to a cashless society. They want to make sure that you can't do what I just advised Deborah to do. Go down to your neighbor and sell some tomatoes for cash. Right? Because if you go down there and she puts this bag together and you go, How much owe you this week? She says 10 bucks. You pull out a $10 Federal Reserve debt note and you hand it to her. And it's between you and her and it's nobody's freaking business. And, and honest to God, on transactions that small, should it be anybody else's business? I don't think so. But they want more. And more means that even if you do that, they want to know about it so they can tax it is income so that they can tax it as a sales tax because it's not just the feds the state wants their share too they want their sales tax money you are screwing them over with that ten dollar transaction hey man you owe them 80 cents you owe the state 80 cents on eight percent sales tax and you are evil and unpatriotic because you didn't pay it and you also that's the buyer owes the 80 cents the seller is just supposed to deliver it and hand it over but the seller you make ten dollars in profit that could come out to like 50 cents in income tax. We want that money too. And they literally, because when you add up 50 cents times 300 million a couple times a month, it adds up to real money. They want that money, and they want to go to a cashless society because that will guarantee them the money. Well, here is what Rex on the, uh, on, on the blog said. By the way, I had a grandfather named Rex and a uh, an uncle, his son. It's uh, Rex Jr. It's a cool name. Uh, just a thought. I can't picture a cashless society unless we are all on a global currency first. I would think foreign paper money could still be used as a means of exchange. How would they prevent that? How would they prevent that? They would pass a law that says you can't do it. And if you did it and you got caught, they would put you in jail or prison, more accurately, uh, federal prison. They would make it a federal crime for you to exchange foreign currency and use paper foreign currency. The other thing you'd have to ask is, well, what foreign currency would you use? How would you get your hands on it? How would you exchange it? There's no, there's nothing. There's nothing that prevents a nation from going cashless because other nations haven't done so yet. And also think about it this way. The U.S. leads the way. If we go cashless, there's going to be a lot of nations immediately jumping on board with it because the, they all want it. There'd be some holdouts. China probably wouldn't do it. China's moving toward a silver currency, folks. China is setting up to go to a silver currency. I'm I'm telling you, I believe that as much as I believe the USS Titanic is going to sink economically. They're even setting up banking systems to deal in silver over there, guys. I don't know if you know that or not. But if the government wants to, they could do this tomorrow morning. The only thing holding them back is that people won't accept it yet. They have to sell it to you. And how does the government sell to you? They use children and old people to sell to you. They, they say, that the children have drugs in their schools? They have drugs in their schools. There's, there's, there's methamphetamine in our school. There's drugs in our schools. The evil people are making those drugs go into our schools. And we've tried so many ways to keep drugs out of our schools, but we, we just can't do it. Cause there's so much money in drugs. But if we had a cashless society and you had to spend electronic money and we could track every single transaction, we would get rid of the money laundering in a drug industry. We can destroy the drug industry with cashless society. That's what they're going to tell you. And if we did that, it would be less expensive for law enforcement to keep laws, on, laws enforced. And people would be safer. And old people would be safer in their homes because police officers could actually do their jobs and patrol the neighborhoods where the old people live instead of constantly chasing down the drug dealers. Because there wouldn't be any drug drug dealers. The magical unicorn would show up. You could fart your angel out. It would climb on the back of your unicorn and it will make the drugs go away if we just go to a cashless society. That's what they're going to say. And people will believe it. People will believe it And they'll use that sales job to sell it. It's, again, it's another of the pillars of control. What the government wants, and it's really not the government, it's the people above the government, the people that bought and paid for your government. They want to control six areas of your life completely, and then they want total control of a seventh pillar that overrides all of these, which is the money. And they already have... 99% of that control. You'd think it would be that hard to go to a cashless society in America. You're out of your mind. Most people do most of their business today in electronic money anyway. When you write a check to somebody, it's all numbers. It's all ones and zeros passing across a computer network from one account to the other. It's not cash. When you go to the store and you use your credit card, obviously that's electronic. But when you use your debit card, they don't move paper dollars around in a bank somewhere. It's all electronic. Do you know there's only... 3% of the money supply represented by coin and paper, 3%. 97% of the money is already electronic, 97%. And the government and the financial elite have almost total control over the money. Only private transactions in cash prevent them from getting that last 1% of control, and they want that 1% of control. They want to control your health. They want to control your shelter. They want to control your food. They want to control your water, and they want to control your energy. Coincidentally, those are your five primary survival needs. You add to that sanitation and health care, they want to control that as well. And then they control the money. And with those seven pillars, they have locked down control of society. And anybody that makes any trouble for them or causes any trouble for them, they can use all seven of those points of leverage against that person. They can send a tax goon in. They could just say you can't borrow money anymore. This is a this is totalitarian society we're headed for. And like I said, I, I don't think we're headed there. We're there. We've already, this has all happened. And we've been asleep. And, and the reason sometimes I get really to the dark side with you guys, with shows like this, is because I am most concerned about what's going to happen when a whole thing begins to fall apart. We have two ways that this can work out. First of all, there's no avoiding pain and injury. There is no, the, the unicorn and the farted angel, in case you guys thought that those were real, they were made up. They're not coming. No one is coming to save you. No one is coming to save me. When this thing falls apart, there are so many people that are so convinced that it can't fall apart. And they're being told over and over and over again that it is going to. They are going to snap their freaking gaskets. The gangs are going to snap their gaskets because their mom or dad, whoever's on welfare is not getting a welfare check, and the place that they crash on weekends when they're not out gangbanging, they're going to lose that. They're going to snap. People in general are going to snap. It will make Greece look like a holiday. This will be the worst country in the world from a riot standpoint. When When it comes to riots, this country knows how to riot. We're armed and we're dangerous and we know it. We're good at killing each other. We're really good at killing each other. We have entire groups of people that that's their whole business is killing each other. And when that happens and we go into complete calamity, that's only going to last for so long because the one big advantage this nation has as, as an armed nation, we're only going to let it go so far. We're only going to let it go so far. People will unite. People will band together. They'll be strong and they'll be weak. And hopefully most of the strong will shelter and take care of some of the weak. But in some cases, it's not going to happen. And some people that are completely unprepared and completely weak are just going to be victims and killed. It's always what happens. It's not what I think is going to happen. It's what's always happened when a nation has conducted itself the way this nation has. It always ends this way. It's always ugly. When that happens, that nation that has an opportunity to take a fork in the road and go left or right. And if they go down one road, they go into a greater totalitarian state. And the strongest criminals in the breakdown become the new leadership, Egypt. okay, Or they turn back to the roots of what once made them great and they establish a new born republic. And they use the opportunity to disassemble the old apparatus and actually do things with common sense. And then they usually get a few generations down the road before they start heading towards stupidity again. Sooner or later they will. It's a cycle. When this happens, not if this happens, when this happens, we need to be prepared to build it back so fast that the criminals don't get an opportunity to take over. We need to be coming up with solutions to these problems now we need to prove that they work. And once things start to fall apart, instead of going, where's the safety net? We need to be there as the safety net. And safety nets, like I said earlier today, they're not designed for you to live in. I'll help you, but then you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to pitch in. Individual societies work that way. If you have a neighborhood that's falling apart and you, you, you're part of putting it back together and you get, a, you get it well organized and, and put together and well thought out and you start to cope with the situation and you got somebody there that's just dragging ass and not helping, you know what, real quick, a neighbor, a whole, the whole neighborhood goes, you know what, Joe, until you start pulling some of your own weight around here, nobody's going to help you anymore. Real quick. It's not like a government where you need like six bureaucrats to check on one guy, and I don't know, he's still in power. No, it doesn't work that way. It's like, bam. And that's what we're headed for. That's, that's where this ship is leading. And if we don't have our minds right now, if we don't stop fighting with each other right now, with each other, if we don't stop calling each other names in blog posts, comments, you're a scumbag, you want old people to die. If we don't knock that crap off debating Obamacare, I want you to again think about this. I've said this before. Every year, these types of issues come up at like family Thanksgiving tables. Sometimes it's a son or a brother, that hasn't seen each other in over a year. And they sit down, and especially in election years, these things come up. And men have cursed their fathers and brothers and mothers to their face. Cursed them to their face to defend a multimillionaire politician who has never lifted a damn finger to help them personally. Curse your father for a politician. It happens all the time. It's the same mentality that leads to this nonsense in the social media space today. People think they're making a point. You're not making a point. You make a point by the way you live. And I'm telling you right now, the way to live is a prepared lifestyle. I really encourage you guys to listen to the Selco interview again. Get the transcript that I talked about today. Download it, listen to it with the transcript, and understand what really happens when a society falls apart. It isn't like the movies. It's much, much worse. It's much, much worse. You know, the movies and the fan fiction novels and everything, they're always about the people that get through. They're usually not about the people that don't get through. And the most, most of the people don't get through. We can fix this once it fully breaks. Right now, it's careening down the road at a thousand miles an hour. If you get out and try to fix it while it's running, all you're going to get is run over, crushed, and dead. There's no sense in trying to fix it. Put your seatbelt on, get ready for the crash. And when it crashes, then we can get out and we can take all of the broken parts away and strip it down and put something back together that works. That's the only hope we have anymore. This, and it's, it, it's, I don't want you guys to think that like this makes me happy or I think this is a good thing or anything. It, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart as we're on the eve here of the 4th of July, a celebration of my nation's independence. A nation I was willing to put a uniform on, to go into harm's way for, right? A nation I was willing to serve as a member of the United States Army Airborne. A nation I believed in so much that at 17 I took the oath and swore to uphold and defend the Constitution. And only in my adulthood, only in my maturity, did I even understand two things what I was really doing and what I was really saying and what an honor that was. What an incredible honor. I had no idea. I just thought I was doing the right thing. I didn't really understand it. I think I would have been a better soldier if I understood it. It breaks my heart to think that, that our republic is not even a republic anymore. It doesn't act like a republic. It's a democracy, but it's not. A democracy is where people vote based on what they believe. This is a nation where people today vote on what they're told to believe. Whoever's marketing is better, this time around, wins the game. And if you don't believe that, then I'm sorry, you don't understand how rigged the system is. And here's the the other part. No matter which side wins, you're going to get the same stuff. A bigger government, more spending, more power, less freedom. That's what you're going to get from all of these guys. And I wish I had better news for you. I really do. I wish I could tell you that we can fix this with a politician. But we can't fix this with a politician. You and I have to fix this ourselves. So as you go out, so as we head into the week of our nation's celebration of its independence, when you're drinking a beer, eating some good barbecue, enjoying a day off maybe, Don't just think about the good. I see the 4th of July today, at least in part, as a day of mourning. Because what we fought so hard for has been given away. And they did it without firing a shot. We gave it to them. We've let these people do this to us because we've let them divide us. The belief with this, just like the Obamacare thing, it's such a perfect understanding. The belief that one side has that the other side really wants everybody to just die, right, is crazy. And both sides believe that about the other side. The the, the, the the people that support it say that all people like me that, that, that say it's unconstitutional and don't want it want people to die because they don't get any health care. The people opposed to it are going around saying that people that want it want it so that they can kill old people with death panels. I mean, you can look at rationing and you can make a case for calling it that. But do you think that your fellow American that thinks that we just need health care for people really believes that? No, but they've convinced you that you either have to be for or against this thing, and it's the only way that we can help people. They've convinced you that your neighbor's the problem, not that they're the problem, not that the people that are in control are the problem. I really invite you to learn more about your own history. Fourth of July is coming up. Learn about the history of this country. Maybe go to an apple seed shoot or something like that. They'll tell you the stories of the first shots of the American Revolution. And this is what I want to leave you on today. Do you think the people that took this nation and formed it out of a group of colonies that risked their life, their fortunes, their fortunes, and their sacred honor that pledged those things the foundation of a new nation created out of a group of subjects to a monarch, lowly subjects that stood up and said, we will not be treated as subjects of a king, we will stand as free men. Do you think those men would have risked their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor? Do you think they would have done that for a nation where the government saw its role is to be involved in every single part of a person's life? Do you think that they would have risked that? Of universal health care. And if they wouldn't, what does that say about who we are today as a people? There is hope, folks. There is hope. But I'm going to tell you, like the song says, the revolution isn't in Washington. We're not going to change it on the hill. You're just going to change it right in your own backyard, right in your own heart, right in your own neighborhood. You're going to get an opportunity. It's going to look an awful lot like a disaster. When the time comes, be prepared for it. With that, this has been Jack Stirco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
0: Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer